0: Hello, and welcome to The Alt-Left.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to episode 38 of The Alt-Left. We have a special treat for you today. Uh, Most of our listeners are here in California. I know a few of you are scattered around. Uh, especially our North Carolina people. But for most of you who live here in California, you know that there is a pretty nasty recall election being set up by some of the worst actors. And we wanted to talk about it. And we thought that who better to talk about this with us than actually one of the candidates. So Kay and I have been able to um, bag ourselves one of the most progressive candidates we've ever seen in an election. Uh, Joel Vantresca is here with us. He's on your ballot and we thought we'd bring him on to talk about his progressive platform. So, Joel, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for inviting me. Uh, we're happy to have you.
1: For, first things first, let's, let's talk about this recall in its existence for the, for the reasons even here. You know, we've got our perspective from why I think there's a recall going on. But from an actual candidate, what would you say the lay of the land is causing this?
2: Well, a little understanding of the historical context would be helpful a century, more than a century ago, there was a very progressive movement in California fighting Southern Pacific monopoly that was rigging everything against ordinary people. So there was a crusading lawyer who was fighting corruption in San Francisco, and he successfully sent one of the uh, political bosses to San Quentin. He actually did that. Then he ran for governor of California in 2010, I mean, 1910, in 1910, and was elected governor, Haram Johnson. I believe that was his name. But, the, but once he became governor as a corruption fighter coming out of San Francisco, he got into the state constitution of California, the Referendum Initiative and Recall Provision and these are three tools that can be triggered by and create direct democracy where the electorate gets to decide to remove a politician from office that's recall our referendum is to change some law that came out of the state legislature and the governor approved it Uh, a referendum stops it from going into effect and everybody gets to vote on it to see whether it survives and of course the initiative which allows people to circulate a petition and get issues before the electorate okay so the recall provision is 110 years old it's a form of direct democracy and with the current recall we're facing now there's only been two in the history of the state in 2003 against gray davis and this year 2021 against gavin newsom so there's only been two and and so this idea that it's abused and we use this all the time Uh, To get rid of governors that are not performing well, it's it's not true. It's very rarely used. Okay, now, when the initial when the recall started, it was clearly a right wing Republican uh, effort. Yeah. And keep in mind that Republicans are only 24 percent of the electorate of the state. Republicans have not elected anyone to statewide office in 15 years and they have Mm. really no influence on state government. And in the state legislature, we have supermajorities of Democrats in both the Assembly and the state Senate. Okay, so it's essential that we keep a Democratic governor. But Newsom may be defeated next month. And we should be looking at who is the most qualified Democrat to replace him if Newsom is recalled. And of course, I'm a top Democrat. I'm the most prominent Democrat. And I'm the uh, most qualified Democrat because I have significant government experience, uh, 31 years at the San Francisco International Airport and three years working at the Commission on the Aging. These are city and county of San Francisco government jobs. And I worked in facilities, operation, maintenance, uh, a budget, finance, and risk management at the airport. And of course, I worked in the aging field for three years, turning around an aging department uh, for the city and county of San Francisco. So I have a skill set. Of you know, running uh, a gov- government programs and managing people and resources efficiently uh, without any corruption or any incompetence. Uh, so the, so the, but the recall gained strength because Newsom has faced 15 crises, and he's mismanaged all of them, in my opinion. I'll just give you a couple examples. We have a hundred thousand people in the state prison system. Half of the inmates got COVID. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. mismanagement. The, uh, the COVID-19 numbers, 4 million cases, 64,000 deaths, more deaths in California than any other state in the nation. And uh, and then he made mistakes about closing all the schools for a year and a half. And parents in polling shows that they're very worried their kid is falling behind and it's going to affect their chance. Of advancement in the future, so a lot of public school kids are falling behind, and the science showed that really the schools never should have been closed. You you sh- should have kept open the schools with aggressive safety precautions. You know, testing teachers, getting teachers vaccinated when it, the vaccine showed up uh, more than half a year year ago, but but the governor closed all the public schools for a year and a half, and we have millions of kids. Falling behind. And also, if you can't send your kids to school, then how do you go to your part-time or full-time work? It's harder. So, Mm -hmm. so there's a whole slew of crises going on in the state. And Newsom, in my opinion, has ineptly and competently managed those. And it led to more and more people seeing recall as a way to remove him. And then eventually, 2.2 2.2 million people signed the petition. 1.7 million were qualified signatures, you know, when the secretary of state checked them. Mm-hmm. And you only needed 1.5 million. Yeah. And, and then we found out that 25 to a third of the people who signed the petition, they weren't Democrats. They were independents, they were minor party people, they were uh, uh, de- Democrats, disenchanted Democrats. And so so when you have That kind of dynamic's going, and this runs against what Newsom's trying to peddle. I mean, Newsom's really a snake oil salesman, and he's trying to frame this with a bunch of misinformation. And what's really true is, millions of people signed this petition. It was bipartisan, like I said, a quarter to a third, were not Republicans who signed this thing that triggered it. And by the way, a recall will fail if you just have Republicans voting because they're only 24% of the electorate. Because 70% of the electorate, 24% are independents, and the uh, Democrats are 46%. So that's 70% of the electorate. So why the corporate mass media keeps focusing on a handful of Republicans that none of them are qualified to be the governor, and in my opinion, none of them should be elected governor, and they're very weak. And, And so what we need to do is Whether people vote yes, no, or don't vote for the first question, they should vote for me for three basic reasons. One is, if you want fundamental change, you should vote for me. If you want an insurance policy to keep a Democrat in the governor's office, if Newsom does go down to defeat. And third, if you want to send a message to the powers that be that the status quo needs to be changed. It's not working for low, moderate and middle income people. You know, so people can have different reasons to vote for me. But the but the key thing is this this nonsense that Newsom is peddling that you should just vote no, like Nancy Reagan said, you know, against the war on drugs. And by the way, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to end the war on drugs. OK, but but when you have Newsom mouthing uh, Nancy Reagan saying just say no to drugs and Newsom is saying just say no to the recall and don't vote for replacement candidates, I believe it's unconscionable. It's undemocratic. It's, it's a very foolish strategy, and it could be because of Newsom's ambition and selfishness. We could be – the Democrats could lose control over the, uh, the governor's office. And, of course, a Democrat, if they were actually a Democrat who believed in democracy, you, you can vote any way you want on the first question – yes, no, or don't vote – but you should be voting for the best Democrat on the list of replacement candidates, yeah. and I believe that's me. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely.
1: Up until about a year and a half ago, I was actually a, a Newsom fan. I had I had some issues with him. I wasn't a fan of his gas tax, you know, being a tax on the working poor. Um, I feel property taxes and other ways are, are ways you can generate from the wealthy. But for the most part, I really liked his his, his civil rights stances, you know, especially with the Prop 8 stuff. Gavin Newsom did amazing work. And I was really on his side. And then COVID happens. And I have a different opinion. I actually do think closing the schools is good. My problem is that Newsom did half measures. Is he goes, OK, we're going to close down schools and we're going to make sure that the, the eviction moratorium holds in California. But then he gives no assistance. And so you've got kids who aren't going to school who have to stay home, but he's not giving out vouchers for free child care. He's not giving assistance to families who are in desperate need. And, yeah, sure, you can hold off on the eviction moratoriums. But what is that? As soon as that ends, how do you help people who are five months behind on rent? Because what happens? They're just going to end up being thrown into the street with nowhere to go. That doesn't help anyone.
0: They did actually have the the economic relief package here in Southern or in California, where he's promised to actually uh, give that assistance. But and by the way, the the assistance is temporary till after the recall. Then you can get evicted, and then yeah. the government's not going to pay your rent. Well, and that's kind of what I was getting at. It's like, it's only temporary. It's only a portion of, of the problem here. You know, we talk about your your particular platform. You know, I get kind of a, a waste not want not attitude or vibe from it. And considering that, you know, you've talked about uh, this recall election, his normal term would have ended in uh, November of 2022. This special election is costing $276 million to administer. Um, do you think it's kind of wasteful? considering that he will be out of office, uh, assuming that that uh, he were to be voted out in a year. Well, whenever an election cycle comes up, it's up to the
2: voters to decide what kind of direction they want to go at that point in time. You know, and I'm for I'm for more elections. I'm for people voting more. I'm never going to tell people not to vote, Mm -hmm. you know, or suppress votes. I mean, that's ridiculous. But the uh, but the reason why the price tag is so high it's because he shortened when the recall was going to happen. If we had it, let's say in the first Tuesday of November, we would have saved 100 million. But he didn't mm. want to do that. And, the, and, I, and my belief is he knows that the height of the fire season, you know the risk, the hot, the peak for the fire season and the potential rolling blackouts by uh, the utility companies, he knows that that's at the end of September. So the Democrats who control the assembly, the state Senate and the governor's office, they said, well, we got to do that before the, the wildfires and the blackouts hit us, because that's going to make a lot of people upset. So he sped up the election and then he did. And then he but everything that Newsom did, he made the election more costly. And if we just had a normal election cycle with a recall and we did the first Tuesday in November, we could have cut off at least a hundred million. You give more time to the 58 counties to run the election, and of course, the 58 counties are all working hard overtime, and they're and they're they're going to have all the polls open statewide, and everyone's going to get a live ballot. So all and the live ballots are prepaid postage. That's fine. I'm. I think it's great that people have live ballots. It's prepaid postage in case you don't want to stand in line at a polling place. But all the polling places will be open just like a regular election. Everyone will uh, get a live ballot, but they can vote in a polling place or send in their ballot. But everything that Newsom did, he added more and more cost to the election. And in my opinion, if we had a regular election the first Tuesday of November, which for for most of the year we thought was going to happen, then It would have been at least one hundred million dollars saving to run that election. And and every and the 58 counties could have run the election more smoothly. Fair enough. What I think Newsom was thinking is we got to get this done while I'm ahead in the polls and before the fire Mm -hmm. season peak and we have rolling blackouts. And of course, that's a very cynical way to think about democracy.
0: Yeah. And that's that's very fair.
1: And I gotta say, as someone who lives in Southern California, who up until very recently—I just recently moved—but I was an edit, a SoCal Edison company uh, customer, and man, do I have nothing good to say about Edison. Um, we were affected by their massive rolling blackouts as soon as we had the winds pick up down here, you know, because they didn't want to pay to fix their infrastructure. And one of the things on your platform. Is I'm going to quote it here. Uh, you say restructure energy utilities into a full service, consumer-owned, statewide public power system. Now, now that that gave me goosebumps. I really like that. I think we need to reverse the private ownership of utilities. Elected
2: governor, what would you do about that? Now I've been a leader for public power, which is basically consumer-owned electric utilities with lower rates. You pursue renewable energy. You operate safely and efficiently. And like Sacramento has a public power system, they have lower rates and they're run very well. Okay, well, we have three investor owned utilities in California, and they're all driven by Wall Street and investors and people from out of the state. And the rates are really higher in California than the rest of the country. So if we set up a statewide public power system where the consumers own the system, we shift to nonprofit. And we focus on running it efficiently, shifting to renewable energy so we can get ahead of of the problems related to global warming. And then we take out the profit motive. So I believe that the three investor-owned utilities, which are owned by a bunch of investors on Wall Street, we get them out of the picture. We make it not-for-profit. The consumers own it. We're going to cut the rates, and we're going to make it efficient, renewable energy. We're going to get rid of that final nuclear power plant. Uh, that PG&E owns. And by and a final note is PG&E, which is the major utility in Northern California, Newsom and his family members have taken $700,000 from PG&E over his career, over several years and uh, from PG&E. And then he's the one who organized the massive Wall Street friendly ratepayer funded $21 billion bailout for PG&E. Yeah. And on the side, he's taken $700,000 from PG&E. And of course, he gives lip service to you know public power occasionally, but he has no intention to implement that. If I become the governor, I will implement implement a statewide public power system, cut the rates by fifteen percent, and it'll be and safety will be number one. We'll shift to renewables much faster than that's intended, and we get the people off of Wall Street and the investors there out of the utility business in California are you talking about like eminent
1: domain kind of action or are we talking about uh, introducing actually like state legislature uh to to to, so it can't be undone so easily
2: well the tool that gets to the end result that we've just talked about is you have to say you're going to use eminent domain Mm -hmm. then once they realize the handwriting's on the wall they'll negotiate a transition period and we'll get the investors out of the process we'll get the stockholders out of the process and we will create a statewide public power system that uh, that benefits all of us uh, but you change law regulation and policy as needed but you need that big stick of eminent domain and and we're going to do it for the because it's in the public's best interest the three investor owned utilities they're burning down the state yeah. A, a lot of their equipment is causing these fires. They have erratic service. They do blackouts. They're not operating their system safely. And it's because they're siphoning off their profits to the people on Wall Street. And this has got to stop because we have a serious problem with rolling blackouts, a serious problem with wildfires. And the way we solve that problem is setting up a statewide public power system. We should have done it a long time ago. And I know how to do it. I've been fighting for it in San Francisco since 1979. I know what needs to be done in terms of law, regulation and policy. We will be using the threat of eminent domain to create a very quick transition period so we can get a handle on our utilities so they help our businesses, help our
0: residents instead of hurting us. This has got to stop. Yeah. So we've talked about you know, lowering uh, costs for for everyday people. And and we really like that. On your platform, it states that you want to reverse, uh, quoting, reverse growing economic inequality and expand economic democracy. What does this look like to you? And does it include a universal basic income? That could be part of it. Now, let me go in reverse order. Economic democracy,
2: if people have long memories, Tom Hayden in 1976 ran for california u.s senator and he put out a whole platform with ideas full of what he called economic democracy but basically you empower the labor movement you support cooperatives you support entities that are not for profit and you make them a growing part of the economy so people have easier access to unions if they're more interacting with cooperatives, they're not for profit and the workers are the ones getting the gains, not people who are investors on Wall Street. And then another thing is, which is a key part of my platform, is I want to enact as quickly as possible universal, high quality healthcare and education cradle to grave for all the residents and pay for it by three methods. One is if you're doing well in your career and you're making more than $50,000 a year and you're doing your regular 20 to 40 year career, uh, you'll pay a payroll deduction that'll pay for one third of it. Then the, the second third will be we'll, we'll, we'll combine the federal, state, and local government, all those tax dollars spent on healthcare and education, we'll combine that, that'll pay for a third. And we'll get permission from the federal government to do that. And then the third thing is, I'm going to increase taxes on wealthy corporations and wealthy individuals to pay for a third. And we'll keep expanding the cost until it does what it's intended to do, to enact high-quality education, healthcare, cradle of grave for all residents in the state of California. And it means that the patients patients and the students and the users of these services, no out-of-pocket costs when you get the service. And so you're not gonna get a bill, there's no bills, there's no debts, there's no fears. When you need healthcare, when you need education or training, you go get it, you're, it's accessible. It'll trigger massive opportunities for the individual. And those who wanna seize getting more education and opportunity and having good health, by the way, they'll be able to get better training, better educated. And instead of making the minimum wage, you know maybe they can get $40, $50 an hour and move up the economic ladder. But on the minimum wage, what I want to do, and I want to talk a little bit about a small business, how, how they'll be benefiting by this program, is that the minimum wage right now is $14 an hour, and I will take it immediately to $16 an hour with every year getting a cost of living increase so it stays up with purchasing power. So anybody who works full time, you know, they're, they're going to be in the $30,000 range, and their purchasing power will never shrink again. That's going to be the floor. Okay. But with additional access to training and education and, you know, people deciding what they want to do to make a better living, to move up the economic ladder, then their incomes are going to go up. And the healthcare component is a lot of people have the, 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 the for-profit health insurance industry is taking around 20 cents per dollar. And we let, we have worse outcomes in our healthcare system. And some people have these Terrible health care plans where they have a big deductible every 12 months and they're afraid to go to the doctor because they can't pay the high deductible that they have to pay before, you know, the insurance company's paying it. So so the for-profit insurance company, they're gone. I'm getting rid of them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to save 20 cents on the dollar for health care and we're going to make it high quality education health care. So the outcomes are going to be better and we're going to jumpstart opportunity for the individual to seize it when they want it. And then the second thing for small businesses and startups, small businesses and smart startups, I want, to, I want to do three things immediately for small businesses and startups. And I'm probably thinking people under 20 employees. One is you don't have to pay any health care for your workforce because the state's going to arrange that. So you're free mm-hmm. of paying any health care costs. That goes to zero. You're going to have to pay the minimum wage of $16 minimum wage as a floor if that's what you want to do. But if you can't do it because of the economic downturn in the pandemic, I will support the state subsidizing those businesses, maybe three bucks an hour for three years to keep, so they can hire people, keep them on staff and meet the $16 minimum wage minimum. And then the third thing is I want to do to restart the economy is I want to eliminate all taxes and fees on small businesses for five years because we've lost about half of our small businesses. And at one point when Newsom closed down the economy and he didn't differentiate between which businesses were more risky than others, uh, it it was sort of like a meat axe approach. And at one point when Newsom closed down the economy, which I think had problems with it, is that 45 percent of the workforce lost their job. So if you're the governor of California and you do something where 45 percent of the people working in the economy lose their job, That's probably not a good idea. And a lot of people may not come back into the workforce. Uh, And another key thing is women and people of color, their economic condition has worsened the three years that Newsom has been in power. And of course, he does want people to know that. But but if you look at what's happening to women and people of color, they're losing ground. They're not getting ahead. Basically,
1: you are anti-UBI you are for a higher minimum wage and you're
2: for single payer health care for all California. What's UBI?
0: Universal basic income.
2: That's not part of my platform. I will study it and if I can figure out a fiscally responsible way to pay for it, that can be a key strategy because I want to do three things that's very important. I want to end homelessness. I want to end poverty. I want to end mass incarceration. And I'm going to end the war on drugs. Beautiful. I mean, this, this is ridiculous. And I will pursue any law regulation or policy changes that allows me to do that. So when you say you want to end
1: mass incarceration over drugs, obviously, I'm assuming you're, you want to continue decriminalizing uh, the activity. But does that also mean that we're talking
2: about amnesty for those in prison for nonviolent drug crimes? I would do that. Now the, now, the key thing, because I got to get the people that are in state prison down. Now, now, there are three groups of people that will still be eligible to go to state prison because we need to be safe. One is uh, violence against girls and women, people mm-hmm. who do that. I want them to go to state prison as a deterrent. And that is a big problem in the state of California based on all the studies I've read. Number two, if you're a violent offender... And you're doing armed robbery and you're doing rape and you're doing murder obviously those people need to be sent to state prison as a deterrent so the rest of us can be safe and and number three and this and that people need to understand i'm going to do this the wall street criminals who are creating massive environmental disasters poisoning our air our water, and our land they, i'm going to send them to prison and number two the wall street criminals who were involved uh, with the the mor- the, fr- the mortgage fraud 12 years ago where nationwide they took 4 million homes by foreclosure from the middle class 4 million and it was mm-hmm. all based on fraud and not a single one of those people who were CEOs running those the the too big to fail banks that we call them not a single one of them went to prison and they got richer and the rest of us got po- poor absolutely so those are the only three groups that, that should go to prison as a deterrent so the rest of us are safe. But people that do uh, drug issues, property crimes, issues like that, I, I want people to be uh, supervised. They have to
0: go to school. Uh, they stay out of jail. Re- reforming these people as opposed to incarceration. Exa- exa- yeah. Yeah. Exactly. it's actual,
1: actual reform where they get to lead a productive life. There's a lot of measures that we have where people who are felons who have served their time, um, where not only they disenfranchised from voting, but they don't have access to SNAP benefits and eight housing, and they can't even house with people who receive benefits, which just creates the same cycle of a problem. So would you be in favor of also eliminating those roadblocks so that when people are released...
2: When people are released, all their civil rights should be restored. If they're having a tough time, I have no problem with giving them government assistance. I do think the government should be an employer of last resort for part-time and full-time people. When people get out of prison and you don't give them any help or support, then all you're doing is setting up them to do more crimes and be headed back to prison. Okay. And by the way, we're spending $120,000 a year for every inmate in our state prison,
0: well, I could send two people to Stanford to pay their sixty dollars tuition. But besides that, you could pay three people forty thousand dollars a year to do anything. Exactly for exactly. one inmate.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's two people who could earn sixty grand a year.
0: So spending yeah. one hundred twenty thousand
2: on every state prison uh, person who's in a uh, prison. This has got to stop. Now, I know there's a bunch of economic forces that that want to waste all this money, all this taxpayer, t- taxpayer's money. But what I want to do is ha- create an avenue when people get released from prison. And I will c- do a lot of amnesty. So if a person did not engage in violence, I'm going to release them, but I'm going to make sure they're in a comprehensive program. They'll probably be on parole for a few years. I hope I want to encourage them to get training and educated. And if they need government assistance or help so they're not homeless, I I would support that. But generally speaking, anybody coming out of prison, they already served their time. And I believe that all of their civil rights should be restored. And if they're still struggling because of challenges or trauma that they faced in their life, I think there needs to be a comprehensive comprehensive program to help them, because I don't want them to go back to prison. And I don't want them to, you know, hurt other people physically or, or otherwise.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more with that one. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, it sounds like if I could be reductive here, a lot of your policy is, is, is based around government should be here to create social safety nets and increase the well being of people uh, more than anything else.
2: Yes. And I'm very comfortable with 50% of the economy being in the private sector. It can be driven by for-profit motives. But where I want to take state government, state government, county government, local government, I'm very comfortable with 50% of the economy being government. Now, I want to reduce waste and inefficiency and corruption, of course. And I want economies of scale. And I want people to access high quality education and healthcare, which we talked about earlier. And so I will, you know, I will do audits. I will make sure people are held accountable. I will get rid of the mismanagement and the corruption in state government. I'll have all the major departments audited within the first six months. And if the uh, recommendations or findings suggest that we need to change law, regulation or policy to make state government operate more efficiently, I'm all for that. I worked at the airport in San Francisco for 31 years. Part of our mission was always to continually improve what we were doing for our customers, mm-hmm. to 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 get rid of corruption, uh, serve our customers, and provide high quality service, and also to constantly improve. And of course, that is my mindset as a as a man, as a prior manager. So I want the government to operate and improve all the time, and I want. Uh, accountability for mismanagement and corruption, and I'm going to root that out. Uh,
1: Now, one of the other things I noticed on your platform, in terms of accountability and corruption, is you're saying you want to remove corporate influence and private money from politics, Um, and you want 100% publicly funded candidate campaigns, which I think that's interesting. So basically, are are you saying there would be like a spending cap limit on a campaign, and it would only come from public funds to basically even the playing field, so that a corporate donor
2: couldn't buy candidates or decide who's on the ballot? Okay, well, the the reform that I want to push, and I'll get into some of the details, I want to remove the corrupt influence of private money from politics, and, man, and I want to mandate 100% publicly funded candidate campaigns and elections at the state level, the county level, and the local level throughout the state of California. And what that means is, you, you get signatures on a petition, you jump through hoops once you qualify for the ballot and you agree to participate in debates. All of the money you spent has to come from clean public money that's all audited. And you can't, you can't spend your own money. You can't take anyone else's money. And once you qualify for the ballot, it's a level playing field. So 100% publicly funded, I mean 100% publicly funded. Now, because of Citizens United at the federal level, where the Supreme Court believes that private money is free speech and they can corrupt everything by overwhelming, you know, the top 1% economic elite, they overwhelm everybody. Okay. What I will put in place until we get Citizens United change at the federal level is that when when dark money comes in, independent expenditures from the top 1% economic elite, and it floods into a local, a county or a state race, whoever they're attacking- Whoever they're attacking within 12 hours, I'll force them to disclose it. And then the candidate that they're attacking, I will give that candidate an additional three dollars for every dollar they spent. So it'll be a three to one match. It'll be given to who they're attacking within 12 hours. We'll make sure that there's no funny business going on, but we will require disclosure where the dark money is coming from. Whoever they're attacking Uh, They'll get a three to one match on what the other side is doing. And after a few election cycles, the insiders, the corrupt forces in politics, the top one percent economically, all the lobbies, they're going to figure out they can't they can't meet this. uh, They can't meet this. It's not sustainable for them. And then I will get all the corporate special interest money out of politics. And of course, we need to change Citizens United. And I do support a constitutional amendment which is long overdue, that there should just be 100% publicly financed elections nationwide, no corporate money, no private money. This is why our politics is corrupted. Couldn't agree more. Uh, we, I, I actually agree with uh, public campaigns.
0: Same here.
1: Speaking of public funding, one of the last ones that I wanted to ask you on, before we get into the nitty gritty on things like Larry Elder and Newsom, you're the only ca- California candidate I've seen in my voting lifetime who actually wants to talk about free public transit? Uh, we've heard things from Newsom about light rails and that kind of thing about establishing transit, but never that it would be free to the taxpayer. Now, mm-hmm. I used to—I'm uh, a bus driver. I work in the private sector, but I used to work for the county, and I always felt that it should be free anyway because the money they take in is nothing; it's all taxpayer-funded anyway. And it seems that charging a paltry sum only hurts the people who are in the most need of public transit. Would you agree with that? Yes,
2: and that's a very good economic argument. The big issue here, in my opinion, is law, regulation, and policy should be set up for free public transit in our major cities, and the major cities should be linked by high-speed trains, You know, which will take a few decades to do that. But in, the, in our big cities in California, public transit should be safe, reliable on time and free for the user mm-hmm. and then and then that allows people if they're in good health and they're younger they don't need the car you know they can rent a car if they're on vacation and we can have a program for that and make sure it's an electric car uh, so they can rent an electric car to go on vacation if they want to you know travel around the country or within the state but they don't actually need a car in front of their house or in their garage uh, and and by the way, because of the cost for owning a car, you know, for the, the gas, the maintenance, uh, et cetera, it's about $5,000 a year. A lot of people can't even afford that because, you know, there are more modest means. But the whole strategy, if we're going to address global warming, we have to get people out of cars and on the transit where we can in our cities. And then, of course, when people are in vehicles, trucks, delivery trucks, trucks and cars, uh, we want them to be electric and charged. Using clean renewable energy, and and we need to do this as rapidly as possible. And then, but but one of my key things in my campaign, and I'm completely committed to it, I will reinvent California into the first into the first zero carbon emission state in the nation, and I mean 100% clean renewable energy, no nuclear. And we're going, and I'm I as governor, I will cease all the permits. For drilling for uh, and fracking for fossil fuels, it stops if I become the governor, you know. And we've had weak governors in the past. That's and Newsom, because he's facing this heat of the recall, he turned down a handful of permits for fracking a few weeks ago. But in the same year, he approved 121. So people need to keep yeah. that in mind. This guy is not telling us the truth. But but if we have a Democrat, a new Democratic governor who wants to address global warming, we have to stop drilling for fossil fuels. We've got to leave it in the ground. We have to have a quick transition to zero carbon emissions for all of our activities on the ground. And I totally understand that the shipping industry and the airline industry are problematic because they, they have no technology other than burning a bunch of carbon, you know, yeah. over the ocean or up in the air. And we got to stop that, which I'm committed to that. And, but, but everything on the ground in California our commerce, our jobs, how we move around in our transportation, we can do it by 100% renewable energy and we will have wind farms, we'll have solar uh, power plants, we will do geothermal, we will do hydro, You know, which is becoming less effective because of the drought. But, yeah. but all the renewable energy sources, we will maximize and create more generation. And part of that public power system we talked about We will have a complete system that involves transmission, generation and distribution of the power as efficiently as possible. But but back to the free transit, a key part of transitioning to a better future is we want to get people out of cars and on their transit. We want to make it convenient, safe, no cost. And you don't really need to own a car for those that that don't want to own a car because it's expensive. You know, they're facing more challenges But I'm totally committed to big within big cities, free public transit, safe, on time, no cost to the user, and then high-speed trains between the major big cities, which we can probably have up and running within
0: 20 years. I would love to see a high-speed rail in between all of the major cities here.
1: Absolutely. God, if you could take a a train from LA to San Francisco in in an an hour and a half, that'd be amazing.
0: Well, and really... you. You really only need one train that goes from San Diego to Los Angeles to to San Francisco, because anything really north of that is not really that huge of a city. And then Sacramento is so close that you really wouldn't even need a high speed train for that yeah, you uh, between San Francisco that. and 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 San uh, and Sacramento. So I, I would love to see high speed train.
2: Now the top five or top ten cities. That uh, And some have growing populations, you know, so we have to think about the future. Linking them with high-speed trains, we have to have that network in place so people are not dependent on cars. And and when they're doing their jobs and running errands in a city, you know, you just take the bus and you go get your items and you can come home and you didn't spend anything. And you didn't yeah, add you know, any more. You, you added no carbon into the atmosphere. Because all the buses are going to be electric, fueled by renewable energy. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I, I think, you know, one of the words you used was rapid. And I think that's something else you don't hear enough, um, is that this is this is literally the fate of the planets at, at stake at this point, where we've hit a tipping point, we've passed it, and, and the time to screw around is over. And so when you say rapid, are you talking about like, first 100 days in office getting policy on paper to start? implementing things like solar and wind up and down the state
2: well keep in mind part of my background is in the 1990s i was a city and county of san francisco environmental commissioner and i helped write and get adopted the first sustainable plan for the city which was a landmark document and and so i understand these environmental issues and rapidly changing from a fossil fuel based economy to hundred percent renewable Energy economy with no carbon emissions at all. I want to jumpstart it and have it done within the next decade, and and mm-hmm. and I'm going and I'm going to load it up in the first five years so people know where it's going, and so those that get on board early, it'll be faster and cheaper for them. And they and, and I want to make it seductive, you know. So you you get rid of your uh, appliances that can run on on clean electricity. And you don't need gas and you don't need fossil fuels, you know, to heat or cool uh, your home. And you don't need fossil fuels for your automobile if you still want an automobile. But I would make it a 10-year plan and I would front load the first five years so everyone knows where we're headed. And those that want to get out in front, you know, and get solar panels on their roof and they want to get to an electric car next time they bought, bought a car. And give up their fossil fuel burning car you know there'll be there'll be advantages for them and then i'll hit a tipping point into it where everybody's going to follow it into line and so that's what i mean by rapid 10 years front load most of it in the first five years those that get with the program they'll have they'll save money and when they make these big decisions you know they're going to make sure they're they're getting cars or trucks other resources that they're using they're going to start thinking whatever i do it needs to be free of burning fossil fuels and putting carbon emissions into the air we got to we got to break this addiction we have to stop it and we have to do it very rapidly and if the most populous state in the nation does this it'll have a tremendous it'll be a tremendous model for the other 49 states and we can provide leadership uh you know to the nation on how we're going to jump over all of the obstacles and the technical problems, and nothing's gonna slow us down, okay? And when people say they can't do something, I'm gonna bring in technical experts who are gonna tell me how to do it. So anybody who's an obstructionist, they need to get out of the way because we have to do this to save the planet and to save the quality of our life. And when we do it faster and faster, guess what? The clean air in LA, it becomes clean again. The air yeah. in the Bay Area becomes clean. And if we control the wildfires, our air remains clean. And a lot of the bad air in the state of California, it is making a lot of people sick. There was a new study that came out that showed that the wildfires, which we failed to control, which we can talk about that if you want, how I would try to control it. But the, the wildfires are creating bad air. They're hitting metropolitan areas. And the p- people that are older and vulnerable, uh, they're getting sick and dying from this. And it's got to stop. So what about people with would you support some I don't know I mean
1: this is off the top of my head like a buyback program for gas guzzling vehicles or how would you help people who cannot afford to upgrade to an electric vehicle who who are literally keeping a fuel inefficient you know a fossil fuel inefficient vehicle because of economics
2: well as i said free public transit in our main cities where you don't need a car but if you do need a car for some reason I don't want you to buy a fossil fuel burning car. I want you to buy an electric car that's fueled by 100% renewable clean energy. And and of course, no nuclear. Uh, But I would support the transition period, subsidizing people so it makes it easier for them financially to jump from the gas guzzler, you know, digging up fossil fuel burning that destroying the planet. And we'll make it easier for them to transition to an electric car so they get comfortable with the technology and, and I'm looking for like half the price coming with uh, state subsidies to jumpstart that industry. And then as more and more electric cars are generated and they're bought in California for those who need it, uh, the economies of scale will kick in and the price should come down. But, but I would be open to half the cost being uh, subsidized by the state government because we have to get people to break being involved with gas guzzling cars and we have to make it easier for them to move towards renewable energy cars that are fueled that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's beautiful. Now, I, I want to ask you one last question, uh, and it's getting out of left field, but something on also on your platform really caught my eye, where you said you wanted to empower nonviolent mass movements. Now, for someone like me, that that strikes my eye. I'm, I'm very political active. politically active. When you say this, are you talking about supporting you know, grassroots movements or are you talking about taking actions towards things like police calling unlawful assembly on peaceful protesters, that kind of thing? Or where do you draw that line and what, what would you do as governor when you talk about empowering nonviolent movements?
2: OK, well, the key is the First Amendment where it says peace, you have a right to peacefully protest whatever the government's doing. And I'm all for that. I want more demonstrations because there's a lot of injustices going on. But I do want the new generation of activists to know that we have to keep keep protests peaceful. That's covered by the First Amendment. And when it when it moves over to uh, throwing things at the police or, uh, you know, breaking windows or going into stores, that's not that's not protected by the First Amendment. Those are all, they're minor crimes in most cases. And in some cases, they're major crimes. You know, if a building burns down and, you know, the 12 businesses that operate there, the, you know, the building is burned down. But, but the key thing is, and I come out of the 1960s, I come out of the labor movement, the environmental movement, peaceful nonviolent movements. And I believe that if we teach everyone in the state what peaceful assembly means and protest. You know, we'll have bigger protests, we'll have more people involved and it'll help, it'll have my back to move the state legislature to the left and I can move the state to the left. I want people to understand that is welcomed. it's needed, that's how we get fundamental change. But if people get involved with violence or arson or looting or, uh, uh, you know, uh, throwing things at police officers, hard objects in some cases, you can't do that. That's not protected by the First Amendment. And so if we're gonna get fundamental change, we have to all understand nonviolent mass movement to get fundamental change. If we stay focused on that, we're gonna get the changes that I'm talking about in place faster, and we're not gonna be discredited by you know the people on Fox News saying, oh, well, it's a bunch of violent uh, protesters. I don't want that to happen. And I want people to come together in our democracy and I want consensus. I want stakeholders involved. I want people who disagree with each other to communicate. And, and I want anybody who's affected by government, I want the stakeholders to be involved with making the laws, the regulations and the policy. I want them to work democratically, peacefully to get the changes we need, because a lot of us are being pushed down the economic ladder. We're being hurt. The status quo is hurting us. And we need to We need to have a progressive, democratic governor who's committed to fundamental change. And in order to push the legislature to the left, I need to have a peaceful, nonviolent mass movement on all the issues we want, prison reform, civil rights reform, you know, all these issues, because we will address all of those and move ahead. Okay. In that same note,
1: what of police accountability towards nonviolent citizens? I, I know it's been lesser an issue in the Bay Area, uh, but here in Southern California, it's actually been a huge problem. Police tear gassing, tasing, shooting and beating people who are completely nonviolent and are, 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 are flexing their First Amendment rights. How do you
2: change that as governor? OK, well, I'm dead set against police brutality and abuse of power by police And I will support police reform legislation to make sure police are well-trained, they're monitored. I want their cameras on all the time when they're on duty. And I want accountability. And the people that are abusive and violent who are police officers, I want them off the force. And I want to make uh, people who want to become police officers to maintain peace uh, and protect people, which is the, the idea of police. I want them to join the police force, and I want the police force to be diverse, and I want a a mix of young and old, and I want better training, I want accountability. But police officers that are abusing their power or using violence, I wanna stop that. And I I am totally committed as governor, I believe I can get through the state legislature the most uh, important police reform law of any of the 50 states, and we're going to get rid of the bad, Apples or actors who are police officers. We're going to get rid of them. We're going to do massive recruitment, make the police diverse, well-trained. And we're going to make them accountable with cameras. We're going to keep the cameras on. And they're going to go into a cloud and they can't censor their film. So I want the police officers to know they're always on. Everything they do is transparent. they got to follow their training. And I will up the training. I'll make the uh, police force accountable to the citizenry and people who need help with crime i want the police to help them and when people are protesting peacefully i want to leave them alone now the supreme court decisions say occasionally you know if if you're going to obstruct commerce or close down highways you need to get a permit for a time and a place and then the government can set up the microphones And people are welcome to come. There's not going to be any hint of crime. And the police are all on the periphery and they're they're only brought in uh, as needed to keep the thing peaceful. But but I'm all for free speech. I'm all for peaceful protest. I'm going to make it easier for people to participate safely in demonstrations. And some of them over the last year and a half, I actually think because some of the uh, demonstrations got out of hand, it actually curtails people you know, say, well, you know, I don't know if I want to bring my grandkid to this because there might be some issues. So what I want to do is have peaceful protests. Everyone who's protesting is protected. The police have, uh, I don't want them to interfere with that process. I want to keep them out of it. And then the police that are abusing their power, they're violent. You know, I want to change that police force. But I believe, like I said, we we can get the best minds together. We can get progressive police reform, I think I can get it through the state legislature and it'll apply to statewide.
1: Excellent. Before we let you go, I wanted to to kind of end up by asking you, you know, talking about the literal elephant in the room, uh, Larry Elder, because I think that's one of the biggest dangers we have is because we have what is an obvious obstruction of voting, which is really surprising to me. Uh, to see from the DNC, um, I don't think the Democratic Party is perfect. If anyone's listening to this podcast, they know I have a lot of complaints, actually, about the DNC. <laughs> but this feels like a Republican move to tell people not to vote. And it scares me because Newsom's allowed to want to keep his job. But to tell people, well, even if you vote no, then don't vote for another candidate robs us from the ability for the will of the people to elect a progressive candidate, someone like yourself from like the Bay Area. And if all the progressives don't vote, and all we get are a bunch of Republican anti-maskers who are trying to get rid of Newsom, then we end up with the Larry Larry Elders of the world. And I'm ass- I'm going to put words in your mouth. I'm assuming that's one of the big reasons why you're you're making this push. But what I guess I don't even have a, a good question for you is what do you think about the the, the danger of allowing a far right nut job to to sweep the election from this?
2: Newsom's a corporate Democrat. I'm a progressive Democrat. I'm a Berniecrat Democrat. But I think my platform would appeal to a lot of independents and also minor parties in the state, which is about 5% of the electorate. And I know there's a lot of warfare between the two major parties, but there's also a conflict inside the Democratic Party, and it's between the progressive Democrats and the corporate Democrats. And it, yeah, and yeah. it really, you know, it's like Joe Biden versus Bernie Sanders And Bernie Sanders last year got two million votes, more votes than any other state, any caucus, any state. He got two million votes last year. I'm a Berniecrat Democrat. okay. and Newsom doesn't want people to know that. So he's he's trying to say, just vote no. Don't look at your choices uh, in case I'm going to go down, which I think is is very undemocratic
1: and dangerous
2: and and dangerous, dangerous. Yeah. I think it's dangerous. It's it's unconscionable. It's undemocratic, like I said earlier. You know, what I think we need to do, we need to start reimagining the future of California without Gavin Newsom. We'd all be better off, from my perspective, because he's a corporate establishment, insider Democrat. I believe he's mismanaged the government. I believe he's incompetent. I believe he's corrupt. He came out of the corrupt machine in San Francisco 24 years ago. I've been fighting that corrupt machine in San Francisco, so I know a lot about his background. And I'm not surprised he's actually engaged in suppressing votes now because he doesn't really believe in democracy. Because if you believed in democracy, you would let the people decide. You would participate in debates. And it's okay to get Republicans to debate each other. We should have Democrats debating each other for those who are uh, replacement candidates. And of course, if people look at my website, joelventresca.com, and they look at the statement I put in the voter's handbook, which is going out to 22 million registered voters in the state as we speak, if people go to that voter's handbook and they see my uh, 250-word statement and it also has my uh, website there at the bottom, I think people will say, maybe we should start reimagining California without
0: Gavin Newsom. I like that the way you put that reimagining the, the state of California.
1: Yeah, because yes. sure, it's great to keep Republicans out. But yeah, I agree. We need non corporate Democratic leadership. The Problem is, is we have people like Joe Biden and that kind of thing. We have 90s era leadership going on when what the tables have turned. The, the, the left, the liberal side of the political table has progressed. And, you know, Newsom seems to be of that old guard.
2: I think Bernie Sanders' ideas for fundamental change, they can take off in California. I mean, he was obstructed in the rest of the nation. And the insider establishment Democratic Party, they pretty much ended Bernie's campaign last year by an orchestrated campaign for about a week. I was horrified. I supported Bernie in 2016, 2020, endorsed him, contributed to his campaign, and walked precincts for him. So I'm, I'm I'm, I'm an established Berniecraft Democrat. And, and I hope that the word gets out that, that Newsom is not a progressive Democrat, and there is a progressive Democrat on the ballot. And you can vote yes, no, or not vote for the first question, but I hope people will get to the, the point of saying, well, let's vote for our future. Let's think about Gavin Newsom is the past, and I'm trying to represent a future that would be better for all of Californians.
1: Absolutely. And I think whether regardless of how anyone votes yes or no on the recall, I think it is incredibly important not to not to leave that second half blank and to not investigate the candidates. Again, that's that's literally how I, I found your your campaign was the ballot came in and I was like, I don't know anything about the people running. And I started running down the platforms and yours was the only truly progressive platform we have. And it's a good one. Uh, So I actually, I recommend everyone go check it out. You know, if you're even if you're not a Californian, but when you're, you know, if you're a California voter um, go check out joelventresca.com. It's an easy campaign website. You can see the platform, judge it for yourself. But again, you got my vote. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you and I really hope everyone goes and checks you out because this is
0: important. Thank you both. It absolutely is important. Uh, I look forward to being able to mark down my vote, too. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Uh,
1: thank you. Oh, we had actually one more question I forgot. Uh, it was actually something Kay had brought up earlier, was if this goes through, let's say he does not get recalled, or even worst case scenario, some evil monster like Larry Elder gets elected, are you going to run on the next election? Will we see your name In on In
0: 2022. Video?
1: Well, if, if
2: if I win, I'm definitely running for, the, yeah. <laughs> for your term next year. I don't know. I would say at times when I think about the dynamics, I'm thinking about, yes, I should do that. But at the moment, at least for the next month, I'm focused on trying to get people a, a, aware that there's a progressive Democrat uh, for independents and Democrats who are 70% of the electorate. And I want them to vote confidently that if they want fundamental reform, Fundamental change, if they want an insurance to keep a Democrat in the governor's office, if they want to send a message, I hope they will gav- They will come together in my campaign and vote for me and say, well, that's the wave I want to ride on the surfboard to the shore.
1: All right. Well, I, I appreciate you you taking time for the little people coming on the blue-collar progressive chat with us here. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to do this. This was great. I think we need more information as Californians on who's running. This is important. So again, everyone, please go to Uh We will post his link up on the Twitter that we have, and go check him out and go make an informed decision. And for the love of God, do not leave ballots blank that is not how elections work that's not how democracy works the will of the people needs to not be muted by a political party or an agenda
0: yeah do not abstain do your research and find out which candidate's going to be best for you hopefully that's joel and i'd like to say joel thank you very much for coming on we really appreciate it okay thank you both and if
2: if i become governor you guys can do the first interview with me <laughs> <laughs> screw that i want a job <laughs> <laughs> sounds
0: like a plan
1: well thank you joel and uh that was our interview with uh gubernatorial candidate joel vantresca i hope you liked it it was a lot of fun doing it uh he's a pretty down-to-earth guy uh i agree with him on 99 percent of what he said which uh, in my book makes him an ally uh i like him uh he's definitely god he reminds me a lot of your platform kay
0: uh, he is he is very close to a lot of my beliefs yeah uh, there's a couple of things that i disagree on and i wish that he were a little stronger on uh but you know overall i think that he's a a, a good solid candidate and a good uh, a good person who wants to do what is right for the people of the state of california
1: yeah he he clearly has integrity this guy is not a corporate shill and i definitely think um regardless of which pieces everyone agrees with or not um, I think he's a move in the right direction and I definitely think he's the most progressive candidate by far.
0: 100%.
1: So thanks for being here with us guys. I hope you liked it. We'd love to doing it. Um, the Alt left podcast is coming up. <laughs> so thanks for being here and we will see you all next week. And until then take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Do not leave the second half of your ballot blank. Cause that's ridiculous because the revolution is you.